and welcome to Broad Expressions. I'm Becky Doubleday. Thanks for joining us to hear from the women in Central Illinois working to help create the best versions of their communities. Today we're joined by Beth Jensen. After 10 years of service on the Peoria City Council, Beth is leaving her position as an at-large council person. She originally joined the council by appointment, filling the vacancy left by the death of Gary Sandberg in 2013. Beth came to the Peoria City Council with extensive public service experience, including a role as Assistant Corporation Counsel for the City of Peoria. Beth is an advocate for legal services for the poor, having served on the Illinois Bar Foundation and the Lawyers Trust Fund of Illinois. Both programs raise money to provide grants to legal service organizations and programs throughout the state. She's also served as board president of the Center for Prevention of Abuse and on the board of the children's home. Beth, welcome to Broad Expressions. It's an interesting time for you coming off, um, you're, you're wrapping up your, your tenure on the Peoria City Council. Um, what, what first brought you to uh, the council and, and how are you inspired to run for office? Um, well, let's see. Well, since actually I was appointed to fill a mm-hmm. seat, um, and when Gary Sandberg died, um, they, they asked for applications, and I think 41 people put their name in. Um, and I was selected by the mayor at that time, Jim Artis, and the council to serve. Um, the main reason why I decided to put my name in, I, I thought I could fill the seat of Gary Sandberg the best because I lived in an older neighborhood. I have lived in an old house on Moss Avenue since I moved here in 1995 um, with my husband, So and I was a long time advocate for older neighborhoods. Since my time um, living in the older neighborhoods, serving as an advocate, being on the Neighborhood Development Commission when it was in existence with the city, and then even as an assistant corporation counsel, I advocated and helped the older neighborhoods. So I I was filling that void. Um, I think also I had experience that no one else on the council did as a an, as an attorney who primarily represented municipalities now for 30 years, but at that time it w- had been for 20 years. So I brought that expertise and having um, worked for the city of Peoria for seven years, um, I had a lot of knowledge and history um, of the city that many others on the council did not. You are an attorney by trade. Um, how did that background inform you wanting to serve on the Peoria City Council? It was all those different things, too, but those experiences, did you find when you got to the council that, yes, it was good having that <laughs> that knowledge? Sometimes it's just knowing the right questions to ask. Yeah, I think that um, that helped me a lot. I The entire tenure that I've been on the council, I've been the only attorney and with my municipal law background, I've, I have represented municipalities like the city. So I was well aware of the Open Meetings Act and the Freedom of Information Act and, and things like that that a lot of council members get trained on and, um, and the municipal laws. And that also helped me a lot as to what questions to ask and also my, the history with the city. I, I knew things that we had tried in the past that did work, that didn't work, or also best practices. Um, so I think it did give me a leg up, um, and I certainly have used that experience to be one of those on the council who always asks the right questions, the tough questions. Um, I kind of get teased a lot, but a lot of times if you listen to the council meetings, I've always been, wait a minute, I have a question. Right. Um, I always promoted 
you know, asking questions during the council meetings so that the public who were watching or listening to the council meetings could hear what the question was and what the response was and why we were doing things we were doing. I think that's very important. I've always been one of the biggest um, advocates of open and transparent government, and that was one of my main priorities when I joined the council and when I ran and was elected in the two um, prior elections in 2015 and 2019. And, um, I continue to do that, but I think I have made an impact on making city government more open and transparent. Would you consider that one of your your legacies or things? What are you most proud of from your time on the council? And and that's hard. I I think that's one of the that's one of the most things I'm proud of. I promoted um, open and transparent government, public discussion, ensuring everyone had a seat at the table and had their voices were heard. Um, I promoted us doing a lot of things that weren't being done um, with regards to any kind of big project or proposal or development, having public meetings and having input from the citizens before we made those decisions. Um, A couple examples now, um, before we do big public infrastructure projects, um, examples are like the intersection at Maine University, um, the Forest Hill construction, construction up on Allen Road. Anytime we do that now, we have public meetings and invite all the public, publicize it, and get their input before the final uh, plans for the project are done. Um, and I think that's had a real impact on getting citizens engaged and involved. Um, we've also, um, a number of times, although some of it got put on hold during covid um, and I, we haven't gotten quite back into it as we had, but I um, pushed and advocated for us to have a more public process with regards to the budget and to have more time. So we began, I think, in 2015, uh, through my advocacy, having public meetings um, several months before we had to start considering the budget, so in the spring, like in April, rather than in October, having public hearings, and we had them in different parts of the city, and we would have city staff there and the city manager and go through what our budget was and what the proposals were. And then the public at those meetings could ask questions, give input, make suggestions. And we also opened up the budget process to people to give more input for an extended period of time online. Um, and so we, And then the manager and his staff tallied all that input that they got to help us decide what our priorities should be and how the budget should be handled. Um, and, and we also created the budget challenge, and that was, and the, I think, and it still exists. During our budget time, people can go online on the city's website and take the budget challenge, and they actually, um, through a series of questions and their answers, they can attempt to try to balance our budget. Luckily, um, the last couple of years, um, we've had a very healthy budget, and it ha- we haven't had to make those tough decisions. But for the majority of the years that I was on the council, um, we had very difficult budgets. So would you say um, not having difficulties these last two years, having more stability in the budget, or at least in did the the things that you were doing to help the process along? Do you think that that helped in getting to a place where the budget wasn't such a contentious 
um, debate period, or or was it still a lot of debate going on? Um, um, but you were just in a better position financially because of other other reasons. Yeah, I think that's a very good question. I mean, honestly, most of it is because we we weren't in the financial straits, you know, that we were before. Mm-hmm. We had a healthy budget, so um, we had more financial stability. So it wasn't as difficult. But I do think doing those exercises all those years um, helped all the council members see what the, you know, what the long-term um, projections were and, you know, and what we needed to do and how to prioritize things. Of course, we always get that guidance from the city manager and the director of finance, but um, doing that, those, I'd say doing those, um, those exercises helped a lot. Are those things now, are they part of the culture, would you say now, of the council? Would you hope that those things would continue as you were spearheading them before and you won't be there to spearhead them now, that they will continue? Yeah, I believe definitely they already are um, with regards to all the infrastructure projects. And a lot of that started, you know, within the first couple years of me being there and and the former director, uh, Michael Rogers, and then Scott Reese, they were real proponents of having these public meetings. And the manager, now that's part of his MO. And I believe, you know, the new mayor, um, she's a proponent of um, doing things in an open and transparent manner. And I I think it will continue. Um, And if it doesn't, even though I'm not going to be on the council, I will still be around (laughs) and I have, I will still use my voice and come to meetings. And, you know, I, even though I'm going off the council, it doesn't mean I won't be involved. I will. And you're an at large council person. Yes. Can you explain the difference between a district council person and an at-large and what your, uh, how the roles differ? Sure. Um, sure. So as an at-large council person, there are five of us on the city council, five at-large and five uh, district council members. As an at-large council member, um, I represent the entire city. So you can live anywhere in the city and represent the entire city. So you have a different perspective and the cit- all the citizens of the city are your constituents. And um, so you look at things as a whole, maybe rather than just the interests of one neighborhood or one, one council district. And I think that's something unique to the city council. Um, a lot of city councils are either just, are all district-wide, most of them are, um, because I do think it's important to have that balance because you have a whole different perspective. Um, and I was unique when I joined the council. I was the only at-large council person who lived in an older neighborhood. All the rest of the council members lived. Um, I, the other three of them lived in the fifth district, and another one lived in the third. But they all lived in newer na- in in nice new neighborhoods. So not that the older neighborhoods aren't nice, but so that brought it. I thought. But they an, need different upkeep. They, right, yeah. and I think I've always said in order for the city of Peoria to be strong, all of our neighborhoods need to be strong. Um, the north and the fifth district is very important to our city, um, but so is the second and third and first district. And it, we need a strong older neighborhoods, you know, a strong downtown, as well as, you know, the far northern, more suburban-like um, areas to be strong. What are some issues facing older neighborhoods that people might not expect? 
primarily, I mean, the up, the maintenance of the older homes. It takes a lot more investment to maintain an older house and to keep it up. Um, and so, you know, that needs to be taken into consideration when we're considering uh, grants and whether they're needed for older houses. Um, we They need investment. I mean, we need people to still want to move into the older neighborhoods that are going to invest in their homes and make improvements um, and stay there. Um, the older neighborhoods, a lot of them are very, um, I get transient's kind of the wrong word, but because there are a higher percentage of rental properties, um, people don't stay in one place. They move around a lot, and there's a lot of turnover in um, either renters or owners. So it's and when you're not living at a place long term, I think maybe sometimes you may have a tendency to take care of your properties not as well. Um, and then the difficulty is dealing with, um, you know, we're not anti-landlords or anti-rental properties. Those are important, too. And, I mean, that's part of the reason why I love our neighborhood, because it's very diverse um, economically, um, culturally, racially, um, you know, in types of homes. Um, but we we do need to continue as a council and people in the older neighborhoods, especially it's good to be organized to keep, make sure that we hold those property owners that are running them out accountable to keep their properties in good shape. And how do you do that? Do you do that through regulation and uh, um, yeah. laws on the books yeah, kind of have, things? We have, and, and the pro part of the problem is that the city staff over the years before I got to the council um, was has been cut um, an unbelievable amount, you know, due to the, the budget shortfalls. And so they have a lot less inspectors than they did when I worked there from 1995 to 2002 mm. um, than, than we do now. And now the 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 code enforcement and the housing inspections are just mainly maintained through complaints. When I was on the city, when I was a corporation counsel, I was, you know, primarily the attorney who wrote and got passed the rental inspection um, ordinance, which set up systematic inspections for non-owner occupied properties, and that the whole purpose of that was because we had done studies and had data that showed that how much um, deterioration there was and issues and problems in the non-owner occupied properties throughout the city. And so this system was set up so every, um, I think it was three or four years, there would be another housing inspection just to make sure it was stayed up to code. And, and then um, if it changed ownership, you had to have a rental inspection. Well, all of that had gone, had been, it sort of was decimated because they had, they didn't have the staff. They had a whole staff. They had four inspectors just dedicated to, I think, rental inspection, or it may have been eight. But they didn't have that anymore when I came back to the city council in 2013 when I joined the council. And I was so surprised because I did not know that. So we've worked hard, and, you know, I have to give the city manager and director, Joe Doolin, I mean, the director Doolin has done a lot and, you know, knows that's a priority and has worked very well with what, you know, the, the little resources he has and the few inspectors. And they, you know, and they, they do what they can, um, 
but I think that needs to continue to be a priority for the, the council. And I do think, you know, now that we're in better financial times, the, the, the council needs to continue to look at funding more inspectors. Now, there, there may not be a majority on the council who thinks rental inspections should be a priority mm-hmm. and I know there's some that that may want to get rid of the whole program so I hope that you know the two pe- new people coming in will I know I think at least one of them will be a similar voice as I had about the importance of um, inspections and code enforcement and I know there's a few other district council members who will continue to advocate for that as well. Yeah, it's funny, you know, when you say that voice, because, you know, you um, you took over the seat of Gary Sandberg, who was, for many, for people having lived in this community for a long time, he was a very vociferous advocate of, of inspections and, uh, you know, uh, for the people, for the uh, the renters. It's interesting. You've done the same kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's the spirit of Gary Sandberg <laughs> has been has been passed along. And I, I always said that I kind of um, and I knew Gary pretty well. Um, and he worked for the city. At yeah, one he time. did before he, I did. And he, in inspections or yeah, something. Of yes, that? Yeah, he did. Yeah. At that time, it was the planning um, and development planning and growth department, but mm-hmm. he did. Um, I used, I like to say, I guess, I'm, I, when I, I'm sort of like Gary Sandberg, but I do it in a little bit different way. But I ask a, a lot of tough questions, and um, but I do it in a much different way, or maybe a little bit different way. What do you see as some of the challenges and opportunities um, for the city that either the council is definitely considering or involved in or maybe should be more involved in helping to push along? Well, um, I think, and I don't know if this answers your question, but one of the, the biggest challenges, I think, for the the new city council and, well, the current city council right now and, and the future of the city is the downtown. Um, I think like a lot of cities throughout uh, the United States since COVID have gotten got hit pretty bad. You know, people are still working remotely. Um, we sort of had a double whammy with the announcement of Caterpillar leaving, and then a couple years later, you know, and losing the the top level management. Um, those people aren't downtown, and although thank goodness OSF has sort of has filled that void, and you know, we're so proud and thrilled that they, you know, made the investment that they have um, in the downtown and redoing um, the building and, and moving all of their administrative offices downtown. Um, but again, then COVID hit in the middle of that being done. And even the all the OSF people that were supposed to be downtown working five days a week, or I believe are still working remotely. Um, you know, a lot of law firms, a lot of, I mean, all the, the people I know that work downtown are not down there every day anymore. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, then when there aren't people down there, then there aren't businesses down there. There aren't very many restaurants anymore. I think there may only be a couple. Um, so I am, I'm very concerned about whether or not the city needs a strong, vibrant downtown in order for it to uh, keep going and grow and, and move forward and to be strong. And 
So I think that's one of the biggest issues that the city is facing right now. Now, I know we're, we're starting now to get um, developers now are starting to bite and come back and have interest in the warehouse district. And that's been, you know, a real success and a real plus. The investments that have gone in there and, and um, the buildings that have been redone and the, the residential that's been brought down to the warehouse district. And then, of course, some of the businesses, you know, like our door, Brad, is a fantastic business that's on the riverfront that opened up during COVID. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I go there weekly to get my bread, and, and now it's opening up into a restaurant. But we need ho- all of that to continue, and the city, you know, needs to help do that um, in, any, you know, in, in any way we can and to really focus on that. Um, th- so I'd say investment in building up downtown again is important and I also and then another thing that's very important is bringing people back to Peoria or new people to come to Peoria to move to Peoria because we've lost you know people we continue to do that Um, and Doug Oberhelman came and gave a presentation he's been the chairperson of a group that started a meeting I believe seven or eight months ago and they're going to announce their plan but they came to the council the CEOs of all the local businesses have been meeting, and they have worked with the Gilmore Foundation as well as um, one of the marketing firms in town, and they have come up with a whole marketing plan to get people to come to Peoria. And I think that is crucial. I'm very excited that they've taken this leadership because this is something I've actually talked about for a couple of years that we need to do. We haven't had the money to do it as a city, so it's it's um, it's very exciting that the um, CEOs have taken this on um, because they see that they need that in order to attract and recruit employees to their businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, we need a strong Peoria. We need people to want to come and move here. Now, you know, I, I don't want to be all negative. We do. You know, I live in this in the old neighborhood in Moss Bradley and over the last four f- years we have had a number of people move into our neighborhood from Colorado California um, and they're artists and they have moved here because we have a strong vibrant arts community which is another thing that I've been a huge advocate for since I've been on the council and um, they have moved here bought big old houses that they couldn't afford anywhere else and because it, the cost of living is so low here, they've been able to work full-time as an artist and to thrive and not have to do another job and do their art on the side. And it's been a welcoming city for those artists. And, um, and they've been thrilled. And um, a group of them are even doing the art house. It's called a tour of their homes and studios in April. And so that's very exciting. So we do have that happening so hopefully in conjunction with this um, project that the CEOs or this initiative that, that they're going to unfold in the next few weeks, we can continue to bring more people to Peoria. And now, I mean, one of the good things out of COVID, you can work remotely and work for, you know, an employer somewhere else but and live somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, and Peoria is attractive um, because the cost of living is so low. Exactly. And that's always been you know, a, a great draw for, I, I always thought, for Peoria. And, and, and that comes through, too, 
uh, when we've been talking on broad expressions with people like yourself. You're not a native Peorian who moved here um, and and chose to stay here and and make their home here and and then work too to make the community more uh, vibrant. What brought well, you to well, Peoria and, originally? Well, I always joke and say it was the job, which would have been uh, the the assistant corporation council position at the city of Peoria. But at the time I, I was dating my husband now at the time I, we were dating and I was up in Chicago and he was here. So we were commuting for two and a half years. So this position opened up at the city of Peoria. So I applied for it um, and got it. So it was, and, and loved that job. I worked under Glenn Collier, who is now a retired judge. Um, he was, one of the best bosses I ever had, a huge mentor. He still is. So that was an incredible experience to come in and be able, you know, to hit the ground running, to be in court all the time, to litigate. And I got to know people so quickly, got involved in the community. You know, I was involved as an advocate for the Center for Prevention of Abuse because I was no longer doing legal services, but wanted to still help victims of domestic violence and was able to you know, to become that, I was an advocate for over 10 years, go to the hospitals for domestic violence and sexual assault victims, but could do that, but then also work full-time. We we were able to buy a big old house on Moss Avenue that we never would have been able to afford um, in another city. So it was easy, too, to get involved. I, I was involved in the Peoria County Bar Association, became got on their board quickly, got on the center board quickly and, and the neighborhood board and just got really active. So that's a, was great. And then the other thing is, that, talking about the quality of life in Peoria is so good. I, both my husband and I worked five minutes from home and we had, you know, two kids, both worked full time. And then, you know, 10 of those years while my kids were growing up, I was also on the city council, but I never missed a soccer game. I never missed a violin performance. I you know, got to even, you know, be at the Halloween parties and volunteer at the, the, the library at the kids' school and really be involved in their lives. But I could, you know, leave work for an hour and go to those things and come back to work. And that was before really remote working, but it was easy to do in a town the size of Peoria because I didn't have that commute. Um, and it it really made our lives better, and we had a great life. And I don't think we would have been able to do all that somewhere else. I absolutely agree. As a working mom, um, there used to be, there was a comedian, uh, Royce Elliott, in uh, the late, great Royce Elliott in town, who used to, one of, part of his stand-up was um, a traffic jam in Peoria <laughs> is three cars in a left turn lane. And it's it's a joke, but it is true. And, and that, you know, especially if you're if you're from a major metropolitan area and have had to fight traffic um, and you had said you've been working in Chicago I mean it's a battle to yeah. get to and from every day and and you're right you you just wouldn't have physically had the time right. to be able to do all of those things because of being in transit yeah be in transit so yeah. much so and we loved we loved it and you know there's so much in Peoria the, the museum you know the symphony we have you know one of the oldest symphonies and best symphonies in the country yeah um all the the arts community the first fridays all of those events the rivermen of course um the bike trails the um 
you know, Grandview Drive and, and all the, the nature trails. And there's just so much in Peoria. Um, and, the chief you know, season is starting yes. here. Yeah, And all different kinds of, whether you want an old house or a brand new house or something in between, um, there's lots of choices. You chose not to run for city council again. What's up next for Beth Jensen? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I'm still trying. Any big reveals on broad expressions? No, I, w- I wish I could give you one. Okay, okay. Well, when you I'm, decide, come I'm back and talk to us. Still figuring it out. All I can say is, I like I said, I will still be involved um, in the city. I still am. I'm very involved in our neighborhood, and um, I cannot see you not being involved. No, I will be, and I and again, I I won't I won't be quiet. I just got a, a note um, this morning from the fire chief thanking me for all the years and my service and that I will be missed around the horseshoe. And I said, oh, don't worry, I'll still be around. I will have a voice and um, and you never know, I could be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Beth. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Becky. This was um, a lot of fun. Well, good, good. I'm sure it is for our listeners as well. So thank you, all of you, for listening to this episode of Broad Expressions. This show is a co-production between me, Becky Doubleday, and WCBU. It's recorded at WCBU's studios on the campus of Bradley University in Peoria. Our theme music comes from Peoria's Emily the Band. The show is edited by Mike Sable. You can find more episodes of Broad Expressions or subscribe to this podcast at wcbu.org slash broad.